following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Good evening. Uh, we want to welcome you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church tonight, either in person or online. It is a thus far peaceful evening for which we thank the Lord recognize that that's not an obligation that he has to give us, but he does out of his grace, and we're grateful for it. And in this time, we have a few moments to look into Matthew chapter 12 again, starting in verse 38. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 38. This passage somewhat mystifies me, not because the content of it's hard, but because of what the uh, leaders of Israel are doing here and in, in, uh, requesting something from the Lord. So let's read it and see let me, if I can kind of explain this. In 1238 of Matthew's Gospel, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. So the back and forth interaction continues. If you've been tracking uh, with our series in Matthew 12, you know the Lord has um, been confronted with the Pharisees, you know, the the disciples eating grain as they happen to be walking through a grain field. And then he healed somebody on the Sabbath. and Oh, that was the end of the world and and everything. And then they're committing the unpardonable sin, um, to saying that Jesus is doing this by the power of the devil. And, of course, he says that's foolishness because a house divided against itself cannot stand. Uh, you've been committing the unpardonable sin. He basically tells them blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He says, look, it's obvious that you folks are evil because what's coming out of your mouth is evil, and that reflects what's in your heart, which is evil. Uh, whatever's, in that, whatever's in that interior storehouse is going to come out, and it's going to tell on your heart, your words, Tattle on your heart, don't they? And so he said that to them. And then now we come to this interaction of back and forth still going on of the scribes and the Pharisees asking, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, this is one of those things, if they're doing a comic strip version of the Bible, you would probably have the guy like observing this, like do a face palm. I mean, like, uh, duh. What's going on here? Um, why are they asking for a sign? So they responded to the Lord's teaching about the tongue. Remember, the Lord is saying, your tongue is showing that you're evil. You're an evil people, vi- brood of vipers. Uh, how can you, being evil, speak good things? Obviously, what he's saying is, you know, you guys, I don't trust anything you say because it's all evil. It's coming out of an evil heart. We see that, I think, that same thing with all this stuff going on with the abortion debate and all of that. This stuff's coming out of evil hearts, so how can you trust 
all these fancy-sounding philosophical legalisms and blah, blah, blah. It's all coming from darkness. It's mere excuses to cover up evil. Well, but they responded to his teaching. How should they have responded? They should have probably sat back and scratched their head a little bit and said, now, hmm, the Lord's telling us our words are evil, our hearts are evil. It's not good for us to be evil. Maybe we should repent of that evil. But no, they don't want to deal with that. They change the subject entirely. What they say has nothing to do with the tongue. It's a complete, as we call it, non sequitur. doesn't follow. It's not agreeable to the subject matter at hand. It was inappropriate to what he was talking about. They're just changing the subject is all. You've had people do that to you before, haven't you? Change the subject. No, 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 no. Especially when dealing with young people. Don't change the subject. Let's deal with the issue. They did not want to deal with anything the Lord said. The issue of judgment for their terrible speech, the fact that their hearts were full of evil, they didn't want to deal with the fact that they had not repented or that they were deep in sin that could not be pardoned. I mean, just imagine if you were told you've been sinning a sin which, if you continue in it, you're going to hell. I mean, wouldn't that shake you to some kind of a wakeful state and you would say, whoa, I better figure this out. Um, They didn't care that they were wrong about the Sabbath or that they were actively plotting to destroy Jesus. They were wrong on so many accounts just in chapter 12 alone that makes your head spin. It's almost too hard to keep track of every little paragraph. There's some new sin they're adding on top of what they've done before. Maybe you get the idea that sin put them into a mess. Well, that's what sin does, dear friends. It makes a mess that is so deep that you cannot get out of it. You're not thinking rightly. The only way you can get out of the mire of sin is to cry out to God and ask Him to lift you out of it. If you come to that point of despair and you say, Lord, lift me out, help me, cleanse me, forgive me, He will do that. He will do that. But He's kind of, in a sense, waiting until you call out to Him. He's not going to, like, intervene against your, your better wishes. No, your wishes will match his wishes if he wants you want to come out of that evil. So if you feel like your life is in something of a mess, just know that that's what sin does to it. Sin, and sin may be not like overtly exercised. It may be all in your... There's a lot of stuff that goes on between the two ears here and behind the eyes and in the heart that is sinful, that doesn't have to be expressed outwardly all the time for you to be in a, in a mess of sin before God. Now, they say, Lord, show us a sign. Maybe they wanted an earth-shattering sign. You know, uh, this is a sign is a miracle, right? So, you know, Jesus could have, could have, you know, tromped on down to the Red Sea and said, you know, part, and they say, and he says to the, says to the Pharisees, "Is that good enough for you?" You know, he could have gone to the Mount of Olives and said, "Hey, you move over there and move the whole mountain over there." Would that have been good enough for them? Um, centuries earlier, God had the prophet Isaiah do something similar. I, I looked up the verses that talk about asking for a sign. This is one in Matthew 12, the only other one in the whole Bible is in Isaiah 7. 
The prophet said to Ahaz, ask for a sign from God. This is about the conflict that he was having with the enemies to the north. And, and, and he says, ask a sign. And Ahaz says, I will not ask a sign or put God to the test. Now, he was disobeying the prophet. The prophet said, ask a sign. And that sign will confirm to you that you will have victory over these kings that are coming against you. But he, he refused to ask a sign. So what did the Lord do? He said, I'll give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. And that sign was not to occur for another 700 years. But indeed, it did come to pass. And in fact, if the Pharisees and the scribes had had any care to look into the origin of Jesus, they would have found that he was the answer to the earlier inquiry about a sign. (laughs) You see? And they would have realized that they're asking a man for a sign who is a sign himself. Man, that's powerful. It just has kind of come together for me when I, as I'm thinking through this even now with you, and it's just powerful. They were talking to the sign. Well, and that sign, by the way, was an earth-shattering sign. How many virgins have conceived and born children? You know, without the involvement of a male, none. They didn't care, though, about all of that. You know, and it's hard for us to imagine where we sit today if we think, you know, what exactly could you want from the Lord? I mean, uh, they've seen so many miraculous healings, that, and they attribute them to the devil. I mean, what are they going to do if he does some other sign? Oh, see, the devil made him do it. You know, he he did it by the power of the devil. They're not going to be satisfied anyway, but he removed demons. He gave powerful preaching, taught as one that had authority. He healed people that were deaf and blind and mute, demon possessions. How could they ask a sign when they'd seen a sign? They'd seen thousands of signs, I mean, hundreds of signs, dozens of signs, whatever. What was going on in them? Most certainly they were not asking with a genuine heart because right out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. How can you being evil speak good things? They were speaking evil. Their track record gave us no reason to think that they really wanted to see if Jesus was the Messiah. The Pharisees evidently ignored what Jesus had done and and asked for more as if what he had done already was not significant enough or in some way was unsatisfactory. Can you imagine? You know, Lord, give us a real sign. You know, all these things about healing people and casting out demons and all that. Now we don't want all of that. It's like the situation in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, remember, memorize this. John 9, story of the blind man. Just get those two things associated with your, together in your mind. John 9, the story of the blind man. Jesus heals a blind man. He's blind uh, from all the way in his life. And then he's, he sees... And the Pharisees ask what happened. And then they ask again what happened. And then they bring his parents in and ask him what happened. And then they ask him again what happened. And then I think it's a fourth time they ask him. And he said, well, you've already asked me. You keep asking the same things over and over again. Why do you want to become this man's disciples or something? And, of course, they threw him out of the, out of the synagogue because they couldn't stand being taught by a commoner, somebody who didn't know their letters of legalism. Um, and so they would not accept this man's initial or his repeated testimony, and so it was with their hard-heartedness toward Jesus. They wouldn't accept his first sign. 
They wouldn't accept the second one. They wouldn't accept the third one, the fifth one, the 500th one, or even a big one that he would work for them if he did. And he wrought sign after sign and as one with authority and did more miracles and raised people from the dead. Can you imagine doing that and people asking for a sign? The Pharisees would not receive it. Let me just make an application here on this. If you do not welcome what God has already done for you, don't bother to ask him to do more. Don't ask him to do more. If he's poured out upon you blessing after blessing and he's opened the door of salvation and so much more that you do not deserve and you complain about it or you ignore it, uh, you treat it like it's nothing or show me a sign, Lord, and then you turn around and ask God for something, don't expect an affirmative answer. That would be an offense to the living God. I mean, you can almost hear God saying, like, my child, or maybe you're not yet born again if you're in that mindset. You know, friend, I've given you this and this and this and this. You have life and you have a family and you have an opportunity to respond to the gospel and you have money in the bank and you have two cars and a house and a two-car garage and you've got all these other possessions and you've got the love of family members and you've got a society that's peaceful and you're not trying to flee into the jungle to survive and all of this, and yet you're not listening to me. And now now you're asking me for something? Like, why don't you thank God beforehand? If you don't welcome what God has already done for you, don't bother to ask him for more. If you ask God to provide, but he's already providing, what are you really asking? If you ask God for guidance, are you with me there? You're asking for things he's already provided. Why are you asking? If you ask God for guidance and he's already provided it in the Bible, but you're not cracking your Bible open to find it, where do you think you're going to get guidance from? He's already given it to you. You know, show me a sign, God. Which college should I go to? Which person should I marry? Which car should I buy? Which house? Which neighborhood? Which church should I go to? But he's already given you the guidance. Why are you asking when he's already given you If you're not paying attention to the things God has given, what do you expect? So they ask for a sign, and no sign, he says, is going to be given to it. Let's verse 39. He answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except for the prophet Jonah. Let's see how far we can get in this before our time expires. The Lord knew that their quest was sinful. He called them evil and adulterous. Now, they may well have been physical adulterers, but this is spiritual adultery that he's speaking of here. They were supposed to be united to the true and living God, and yet they had committed spiritual adultery by running off with idols, idols pictured as another man's wife or another husband, right? They go after the idols. That spiritual picture means that they've run after and worshiped other gods than the true God. They were the leadership of the current generation, and so the Lord gloms the whole business together and says, an evil and adulterous generation. I'm speaking to the leaders of that generation, you people. Now, we have the same sort of thing. You can see that solidarity, can't you? You, you, you can say to the vast majority of those 530-odd senators and congressmen in Washington and people in the executive branch and you know, all the people in the beltway and say, those people represent the United States of America and they represent 
It's evil. It's evil. And so an evil and adulterous generation. It doesn't mean that there are no saved people in Israel. They're just like in our day. You can still call the nation evil and adulterous, running away from the true God, and, and know that there are still some faithful people in that nation. That's the case. Because of their evil heart of unbelief, Jesus was not going to give them a sign. There is no way that he was going to be responsive to their demand for a sign. You, you know that, right? You've, you've had to do that same, very same thing in personal relationships. I think, again, of training up young people. You don't just respond to their every whim and wish. That would be dumb. You're training them. You're teaching them patience. You're uh, working with them to focus on what is important and that sort of thing. You're not going to be responsive to their asking for some kind of dumb thing. This is what the Pharisees were asking. But he did, however, promise them a future sign, the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, I'm preaching to the choir here. I assume, for the sake of the moment, that online, if you're watching, you know the story of Jonah very well. Also, uh, Jonah, uh, I don't have to rehearse it too much, but was told by God to prophesy. He ran away. God forced him back. He went and proclaimed the word of God to the city of Nineveh, a very evil city, and yet they responded favorably. There's some debate about how, how well they really did respond because within 100 years they were back to their old ways again, but 100 years, 50 years, how long does it take for a nation to fall? What have you seen in the last 50 years, brother, in this nation, right? It doesn't take 100 years for uh, even a nation that's doing quite well to fall into uh, to evil. So he he's saying the prophet Jonah, and uh, so they, must, they might have said, well, what does that mean, the prophet Jonah? Prophet Jonah. Um, and so the Lord explains it. In verse number 40, the meaning of the future sign is given by the word as. Does your Bible have that in verse 40? For as, okay, it's making a likeness. It's like when the Bible says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. There's, there's your love for your wife, and there's the love of Christ for the church, and they're supposed to be somehow similar, like equal. You know, obviously, they're not equal equal, but there's some similarity to them at that, that level of comparison. So the word as, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This, this is what the Lord will give as a sign is like what happened before. What was that? Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. The likeness is that Jesus will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, I think it's maybe helpful for us who are very technically minded to get this idea exactly or, you know, some kind of, I don't know how to say it, persnickety way of saying it down to the minute. Uh, It's three three days. Uh, If you have a Friday crucifixion, it would be fair to include, I think, what was on Thursday night. Late night dinner with the disciples. They go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Lord is in great agony, sweating drops of blood. He knows what's happening to him. He's arrested, beaten, mocked, beaten some more, spit upon. Three, several trials, all illegal. 
followed by a day of hanging on the cross, followed by a burial, Friday night in the grave, Saturday all day in the grave, Saturday night in the grave, Sunday morning early arising from the dead, three days and three nights. Now, if we continued the likeness to Jonah's situation beyond what our Lord does here, we'd say that the earth spit out Jesus, just like the great fish spit out Jonah. Why? Because the earth could not hold him. Death could not hold the Lord Jesus, and so the tomb had to regurgitate him in a sense. The sign miracle that Jesus was about to do would be way bigger than what God did with Jonah. But when Jonah went to Nineveh as an acid-washed prophet, the Ninevites repented. They turned from their wicked ways and received a reprieve from divine judgment. And so the only proper response for the people that were standing before Jesus was for them to repent just like they did at the preaching of Jonah. And yet what the leadership was doing was saying that their modern-day Jonah was possessed by the devil. Can you imagine? The likeness of Jonah coming to preach, not to Nineveh now, but to preach to Israel. And like in other cases, when the Lord in Luke chapter 4 said, you know, there are many widows in Israel, the days of the famine of Elisha, of Elijah, and But to none of them God sent a prophet except to the one of Zarephath. And there were many lepers in Israel, but only to Naaman the Syrian was God sent. And they couldn't stand it because he was saying, God sent to the Gentiles before he helped you folks because you were so hard-hearted. They wanted to throw him off the cliff in their city in Nazareth. And here is the same thing. The nation's rejecting its modern-day Jonah. Whether figuratively or literally here, the, the Lord says, then the Gentile nations, the, the Gentile Ninevites, I should say, will stand in judgment as witnesses against the Pharisees and condemn them because Jesus is a thousand times greater than the prophet Jonah. Their judgment will be severe because they were entrusted with much. You know, to Israel were the promises, the fathers, the sacrifices, the temple, and everything. And then Jesus offered another greater, a lesser to greater uh, kind of argument, and he does it with the queen of the south or the queen of Sheba. This is in 1 Kings 10. I'll let you go back and look at 1 Kings 10 if you want to. She came from the south and heard Solomon's wisdom. Uh, she had heard of his wealth, his fame from afar off, and she heard, and not, not she heard it, but then she came and she saw it was 10 times more than what she had ever heard, and she was flabbergasted. The point here is that the Pharisees were standing in front of one who was far greater than Solomon. They should have been flabbergasted and on their knees before him worshiping because he was far greater than Solomon, the one greater than the son of David, the Messiah, the God-man, the son of God, and they treated him like trash, trash. The queen of Sheba, by the way, found out something else. It's around verse 10 in that passage in 1 Kings 10, it, she found out that 
that the fact that God had set Solomon on the throne indicated God's love for the nation of Israel, and she saw the glory of God in the placement of Solomon on the throne. So she was turned to God. The Pharisees see the Son of God, and they're turned to think about Satan. It's just unreal. Now, uh, just to close, a little, little technical note here. There's a small debate about whether Jonah died and resurrected again to life in that fish or when he was spit out of that fish. I don't believe that he died. The point of, the, and it certainly, I don't think you can get that from this passage because the likeness is not death and resurrection. The likeness is three days and three nights, a period of time in which the prophet was hidden away from, uh, from the world. In a similar period of time, the Lord would be in the belly of the earth. But even if Jonah did not die and rise again, there's no reduction in the significance of the similarity between the prophet's fish sign and the resurrection sign of the Son of God. They are similar. In the end, Jesus gave them a stupendous sign. No sign was going to be given now, but there would come a sign in the future. But they still did not believe that sign. Luke 16, 31 said, they will not believe even if one rises from the dead. That's Abraham speaking to the rich man in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Remember who the, the beggar who died and was carried to Abraham's bosom and, and, the, and the rich man was, was in torment and said, send somebody, send somebody to tell my brothers I don't want them to come here and and uh, he said, send, send Lazarus back from the dead. They'll believe him. And, and Abraham said, no, <laughs> they don't believe the scriptures. They're not going to believe even if one rises from the dead. And in fact, that is what happened and still happens yet today. So don't ask God for a sign if you're not willing to believe the sign. <laughs> Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take these words and seal them into our hearts. Help us to marvel at the truth of the scriptures here. Lord, we love you and we thank you for them. Uh, I pray that you help us to reach some people who maybe, maybe are in the mindset of asking for a sign, but they're not receiving the signs that God you've already given to us. The sign of the resurrection of Christ, that is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Help us to go back to that, not be flat, you know, flummoxed when somebody asks us, why doesn't God do miracles today? You don't have to do miracles today, God. You did a tremendous miracle. And we simply look back in the eyewitness testimony of that miracle, the resurrection of Christ, and we thank you for it. Let us not have any hardness of heart, but to be humble before you, God. Thank you for those who watched online tonight and those who are here. May this word go out and be useful in your hands to many others as they have opportunity to come across it on the YouTube and on the church website. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I gave it to you tonight. I hope that it was helpful and interesting. Uh, certainly want to be reflective of the truth of the scriptures. And may God bless you tonight. And we'll see you again soon. Uh, if you can come, that'd be great. If uh, you have to stay home while you can interact with us on this uh, channel here. All right, good night. God bless you.